Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. came into this world in, as one author uses the phrase, in the best of times, but in the worst of times. He came and he lived his life, and on one side we would look at that and say, what a tragedy. He came with nothing but love, nothing but care and concern for the people all around him, and all of the people turned their backs on him and crucified him. But yet what was so evidently wrong was the perfect plan of God, that he would become the sacrifice. When it feels like things are going horribly wrong in life, like you don't get a position or promotion you've hoped for, or the person you love doesn't love you back, these can seem like situations that are impossible to get over while they're happening. But today, Pastor David asks you to consider the greatness of God in those moments. He promised to make all things come together for the good of those who love Him. As we consider Christ's birth, let's remember God's love exists even in the hard times. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, So Wrong, Yet So Right. in the third year of so-and-so's rule, and if we all knew who was ruling at that time, we would, we would know exactly what time they were talking about. It was during the second administration of uh, Obama or Bush or whoever. Uh, we would know what time that was. They didn't have the dating. So around 525, they decided that they would go ahead and date it, and they dated it according to the time of Jesus' birth. So Dionysius, with all the information that he had, went back and started and, and set a, a point in time that says everything prior to this is before Christ. Everything after this is in the year of our Lord. The problem is, is Dionysius got it off by four years. Actually, Christ being born to the best of our records, the best of our understanding, was actually born according to Dionysius' calendar, actually in four BC. Now, because he got those four years wrong, that means that you're probably four years older than you think you are. Okay. I just want to let you know. So, That means your 12-year-old can start driving? No, no, we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. Anyway, Matthew's gospel account tells us that Herod, in an effort to to kill the newly born Christ child, he, he sent his troops into Bethlehem to kill all of the male children from two years old and under. All of these things working together, all of the other historical events, we, we fully understand that, that it's very most likely Christ was born at around 4 B.C. But regardless of the exact date, the command for the registration had been sent out by Caesar Augustus. Luke chapter 2, down in verse 3, 
tells us more of the story. Verse 3, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So here we are, Mary's nine months pregnant. And she and Joseph have to make this 75-mile journey, a journey away from the comforts of home. How could everything so evidently wrong yet turn out to be so right? Really, we have to ask ourselves, why at this place? Why at this time? And why this way? Why did all these things have to happen? As far as the place is concerned, Bethlehem was a little town or a village located within the shadow of Jerusalem, about six miles southwest of the of the bustling city of Jerusalem. The very meaning of the name Bethlehem is house of bread. How appropriate that in the house of bread, the bread of life would be born. Bethlehem was the hometown of someone by the name of Naomi. If you've done a study in the book of Ruth, you know who Naomi is. Remember, Naomi, her husband and her two sons, because of a famine in the, in the land of Palestine at that time, in the land of Canaan, they, they left that area and went across the river to the land of the Moabites, the, the Gentiles over there. And once they got over there, Naomi's husband and her two sons died, and yet her two sons had married. They had married Moabite women and as Naomi decided, well, I might as well go back home. One of the daughter-in-laws stayed while the other one came with her. And this is the story of Ruth we see in our Old Testament. When they got back, the, the area of the town that they came back to was her hometown, Bethlehem. And as they were there, and as, as Ruth working out in the field, she met one of their relatives. Remember a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz lived, and his family was from Bethlehem. And we find out that as Ruth and Boaz came together as husband and wife, they had a child whose name was Obed. Obed, as he grew older and he got married, he had a child by the name of Jesse. Jesse, as he got older and had a child, his child was named David. One of his sons was named David. David, the one who would become the king of Israel. So Bethlehem became known as the city of David, King David's hometown. This is also where Samuel the prophet found David when Samuel the prophet came to anoint the king of Israel once Saul had gone so far off God's direction and plan. Bethlehem, city of David, the town of David, the house of bread, all of these things. But even more directly, Bethlehem was a place of prophetic announcement. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we read, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The reason why this place? Well, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. It was where the Christ had to be born. And yet it looks so evidently wrong for Mary and Joseph at that point in time. Why in the world should we have to make this journey 75 miles? Here I am. I'm at the very end of my pregnancy. Can't we wait till my pregnancy is over? I can give birth here in Nazareth. But what was so evidently wrong, God planned and purposed to be so evidently and absolutely right. As far as the timing of his birth, it was during a time in history that the region had that peace on earth. It was available, though, 
only to those that that agreed with and were in line with the Caesar and, and all of his appointed rulers of the area. And although Augustus was the emperor of the Roman area, Herod the Great had such great authority over the, over the Jews and over this particular area that was under his control. As a matter of fact, if Herod said that you live, you had a pretty good chance you're going to live. But if Herod said you're going to die, you probably would not see the light of day the next day. That's how much power and authority he had at that point in time. The Pax Romana was, was a peace that was maintained by the sword. You step out of line, you get out of order, you break the rule, you disturb the peace, and you're going to be taken out of the equation. So when they say you have to go to that city of your family, that's where Joseph had to go. All of the Roman Empire was under the oppression of the, the personality and the quirks and the emotional instability of both the Caesar as well as all of his cohorts like Herod the Great. Not a very pleasant time to be born in. Not a very pleasant time to live in. But the question is, is why was Jesus born at this time? Why didn't Jesus come sooner, much sooner? Many generations had already passed. The need for a Savior was definitely great. But verse 6 here says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed that for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Did you catch that? The days were completed for her to be delivered. Do you realize that's actually a messianic statement? The days were completed for her to be delivered. Not only Mary to be delivered, but for the deliverance of all mankind. This was the time, this was the place where God brought forth a deliverer out of Zion. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4 that it was when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, when the fullness of time, when God's exact time and plan and purpose was fulfilled. Albert Barnes, a uh, biblical commentator, shares this about God's timing. He says the exact period had arrived when all things were ready for his coming. It's often asked why he didn't come sooner or why mankind didn't have the benefit of the incarnation and the atonement immediately after the fall. Why were there 4,000 years of dark and gloomy time that were allowed to roll on and the world suffered to sink deeper and deeper in ignorance and in sin? To these questions, perhaps no answer entirely satisfactorily can, can be given. God undoubtedly saw reasons which we cannot see. Barnes continues on. He says it may be observed that this day of redemption was in entire accordance with the whole system of divine arrangements and with it all the divine plan and work of God was shown to be in favor of man. And so the incarnation and the work of the Savior was seen by God to be the best time, the time when, on the whole, the race would be most benefited by his coming even with our limited and imperfect vision. What's God doing in your life? The timing? Is it in your timing? I, one thing that I've known in life, and 
63 years old. I've been uh, a Christian since I was uh, 17 years old. One thing I've come to know in those short, short years, God's never late. He's seldom early, but he's always on time. In his perfect timing, he works. Warren Wiersbe also writes about this time frame of why, in a more practical sense, Jesus would be born at this place at this time. He writes that from the historical viewpoint, the Roman Empire itself helped prepare the world for the birth of the Savior. Roads connected city with city, and all of the cities ultimately led to Rome. Roman laws protected the rights of citizens, and Roman soldiers guarded the peace. Thanks to both the Greek and the Roman conquest, Latin and Greek were the languages that were known across the empire. Christ's birth at Bethlehem was not an accident. It was an appointment. Jesus came in the fullness of time. And he also writes, and it's worth noting, that he will come again when the time is ready. You see, his first advent made absolute great, perfect preparations for his second advent. The timing, the place, everything about it. So we've looked at the place, we've looked at the time. Let's look for a moment at the way he came. He came far away from home. He came in a small village and just in the shadow of the religious and political center of the region. He came first to this crowded inn, but yet finally ended up in a in a cattle stall, how could everything so evidently wrong yet turn out to be so right? We've spoken about this over the last couple of weeks, and there was no pomp and circumstance in in his arrival. I mean, really and truly, the only celebration that we know of of his arrival was for the shepherds and the angelic host out on the fields, and then the shepherds came and and they, they worshipped him at that point. But for the rest of the city, the rest of the world for that matter, it's just another baby that was born. And this one must be really insignificant because he's born out in a cattle stall. Not much pomp, not much circumstance, not much celebration. Just another baby. The humility of Christ, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but the humility of Christ is absolutely overwhelming. Not only in his birth, but even as he moved throughout most of his ministry. He moved among the people in in such a humble, such an unassuming way. That is, until he ran across the religious and the self-righteous ones, then that kind of changed. But by and large, the overall, Christ came to the earth in an extremely touchable way, and a very vulnerable way. And I say vulnerable because, as the Word tells us, he hungered, he thirsted. There were times of being absolutely weary. There were human emotions that were a valid part of who he was. Because of his love for us, the word actually became flesh and dwelt among us. And in a very real and practical sense, he pitched his tent right next to ours. When the word says he tabernacled with us, he came among us. That means he literally came and lived among us. And yet the world as a whole didn't receive him. They crucified him. How could something so absolutely and evidently wrong Turned out to be absolutely wonderfully right for us. They crucified him. What a horrible thing. But yet in that crucifixion becomes our hope. You see, it's exactly how God had planned it. 
Real quickly, I'm going to give some scripture verses here. You can write them down uh, for a later look. But one that we've looked at already this Christmas season is in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 8, Paul tells us that being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, he says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet he was without sin. Hebrews 5, 8, That though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him even to the point of sacrifice on the cross. What appeared to be so evidently wrong was so wondrously right. Let me ask you this morning. Do you fully trust in the power of Almighty God? Really and truly, do you, do you actually believe that He is omnipotent, all-powerful? Do you actually believe and understand that He is omniscient, all-knowing in every aspect? Can you look at your life right now and have complete faith that even when everything seems so evidently wrong in your life, that your God will work in and through all of those things together for good to those that love him, to those that are called according to his purposes. Years ago, Todd and I were living down in southern Arizona. We were actively involved in the church. I was working in construction. Life was good by and large, but we also felt that God wanted more in our life. And through a process of things, a pastor in north central Arizona contacted me and said, you know, we're looking to add to our staff here at this church. If you were up in this area when that time came, we, we would love to put you on full-time staff at this church. Well, that, that was my heart's desire, and we felt that's where God was leading. As a matter of fact, through a whole series of things, we saw God's hand opening up doors, opening up doors for us to move up there. We knew that it was God's plan and purpose for us to go up there. So we sold our home. We moved the family from about a 1,900-square-foot home to a 900-square-foot duplex. But that's okay. God was in it. We know that God was calling us. A few months after we got there with anticipation of going on staff at that church, the board of elders of that church called someone else to that position. Uh, I'd like to tell you that your pastor was full of faith and knew that God was in it. But I was devastated. God let me down. I knew that it was God's will that we'd be there. And then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out. It was so evidently wrong. I had left a very good paying job to come up there to take a a minor job at the point in time, but with the anticipation. Then the anticipation, the hope, the bottom fell out of it. So wrong. So we left the area. We went back with our tails tucked between our legs back to southern Arizona. A little while later, we found out that the church itself just totally disintegrated. 
And it wasn't until 10 years later that we found out that the pastor had been involved in an affair and even fathered a child from someone in the congregation. And that was the whole destruction. And you see, I believe now at that point in time that God was saving us from just a horrible, horrible situation. What seemed to be so evidently wrong actually turned out right. God taught me personally a lot of lessons in the midst of that. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what things that, uh, uh, again, the, the battle of the enemy that's bringing to you right now. And it can look so evidently wrong in your eyes. And, beloved, I'm, I'm probably going to agree with you. Man, that is wrong. What's happening right now is wrong. But I also know the greatness of my God, who is sovereign over all of his creation, who declares in his word that he will to make all things come together for good to those that love him, for those that are called according to his purpose. This is the season for rejoicing, but there's a lot of folks that are having a hard time being able to do just that. And perhaps right now the Lord could and would use you to be one who brings encouragement to someone else who needs to know that even though everything seems so evidently wrong in their lives, that you know a God who is still in control and he will work his purposes out. I want to end with this. John chapter 1. Again, very familiar passage to you. John chapter 1, speaking about Christ, he says that down in verse 10, he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But the promise that we have is found in verse 12, where he says, But as many as did receive him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christ came into this world in, as one author uses the phrase, in the best of times, but in the worst of times. He came and he lived his life and On one side, we would look at that and say, what a tragedy. He came with nothing but love, nothing but care and concern for the people all around him. And all of the people turned their backs on him and crucified him. But yet what was so evidently wrong was the perfect plan of God that he would become the sacrifice for all mankind. We celebrate his birth. But in his birth comes the vulnerability of his humanity. And in that humanity, he gave his life in order that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. We celebrate his birth, but we thank him for his death. We celebrate his resurrection, and we look forward to his second advent, the second coming of our Lord. My hope, my prayer this year, is that if you don't know Christ, that you would consider the claims of Christ. Give your heart and life surrendered to him, knowing that your sin is forgiven because he paid the price for you. And if you are a believer, that this year, your heart, your desire would be to honor him more and more in your life and live your life in the midst of all the press of the world that comes against you from every side. Live your life for his glory, standing out as a peculiar people in order that God might be honored. On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the production team here at The Open Word, 
we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all of the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the home page, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.